Welcome to Coffee with Curtis, your home for quality business conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Robert Curtis. Today on the program, we've got Alan Cutter, or Azzy as he likes to go by. Azzy is the CEO of AC Lion, a US-focused recruitment firm. We talk people, talent, inclusion and diversity, the future of work, hiring, and a lot more. So enjoy the episode. You're going to like Azzy. Delighted to have you here, although I have to say, I'm not sure whether to call you Alan or Azzy. So tell me more about the double name, please, and, and welcome. I had to make a decision. Thank you, Rob. It was, it's really great to be here. And um, when I moved to Israel, you know, Ozzy is like my nickname that my parents named me as, as a kid. It's short for Azriel and they always, and everyone in my family named me Ozzy. And then, but my actual name says Alan Stewart Cutter and I'm the CEO of the company. So I got to sign on documents. I officially actually would have to change my name. Officially, you never wanted to do that. And in growing up, people always had a hard time with Ozzy. Never, it wasn't like a popular name. So now it's like, used to be cool. Alan Cutter, just very smooth. Everybody got that. So I kind of like put Ozzy on the side and just like a very small piece of, of people knew Ozzy. But as I evolved and as people became more acceptable to have cool names, I really liked Ozzy better. So then I decided to change it on my business card and on LinkedIn. It was a good big day for me. So I'm Alan Ozzy Cutter. So when I get spam emails, I know it's spam because people don't never put two names in a, in a spam email. So they go, dear, hello, Alan Ozzy Cutter. I'm like, okay, that's spam, delete. So now when I moved to Israel two years ago, a lot of people said, you know, you got you to decide. You're in Israel now, go with Ozzy. But there's a, like, when I meet people, I'm like, people like Alan, Shalom Alan, Mani Shema. And I kind of still like the way it sounds. So I've decided to kind of like tell people it's both. And when we're professional, we'll call me Alan. And if you become friends, you can call me Ozzy. So what are we, Robert? I don't know. We're getting, you gave me, you gave me whiskey. Absolutely. And we're definitely on the way to becoming good friends. I'm going with Ozzy. So, uh, so, but the, the funny thing is actually, you remind me that in Israel, people, native Israelis have a real problem with when they ask me my name, they can't then re-repeat it or hear it properly. So when I say Robert, they haven't got that R at the front of their mouth. It's a R at the back of their throat. So it's Robert. And uh, often, you know, when you go to order a, order something from a mall or a food court and they ask you your name, because I often said Robert and they were like, eh, ma? And in the end, I was like, I can't keep doing this. It's so annoying. So sometimes you'll see me order food and then they'll shout out uh, Yossi or Ilan and it's me. And I, got, I just give them a fake name. And sometimes my kids are like, why is he calling you Yossi? So I said, don't ask, long story. But so what do you think, uh, I should, you think it's a good thing that I have two names or should I just pick one and go with it? It can be very, very useful in many situations. You know, you can, you can definitely use two identity. names. It is nice to know when people Google me, they go Ozzy Cutter, they don't find much. But when they go Alan Cutter, they find everything. So like, depends on what you want. So listen, we're on Coffee with Curtis. And before we dive into some of the big topics around recruitment and talent and people, business, um, you are based here in Israel, as we know, but you have a business that um, is spanning the US as well. Um, so you, I'm guessing, often have a unbalanced day in terms of hours, which must mean, because you're catching up with, you know, Eastern or Pacific time at any point in the day, coffee plays a role in your day um actually actually 
plays a massive role in my day. But uh, before we, we, we dive into coffee, this is officially my coming out event that you told my clients that I'm actually based in Israel because they will have no idea. My LinkedIn says New York. It's okay. I'm ready to come out with it. So we're, we're going to do it. But when I, I figured I'd wait till tell people, be like, where are you, New York? Because I live on the Eastern, everything, my entire calendar is EST. But at the same time, I've been testing it out. Like I'm calling people in the Netherlands and in England and wherever. And I'm like, I'm in Israel. Like, really? Cool. And they, they tell, oh, I really want to go there. It's a great topic of conversation. And um, so I'm, I'm now loving coming out of the closet. And in terms of the, uh, the coffee, I've always been a coffee guy. In fact, my entree to recruiting was with coffee, believe it or not, because I never drank a sip of coffee in my life. When I, I started recruiting, my boss was from Brazil, Dan Nascimento. And I got, it's a really hard job. I think Robert, you were in recruiting in the old days, back in the late nineties, it was all pick up the phone, dial, 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 literally. And you get it the first week. I never thought this job would end. Like I would look at the clock. When is this going to be over? You know, and my boss would literally make me go out and buy ice, large coffee. And I'm like, what? And then with like a big donut and I'm like, it woke me up. So I got addicted to coffee, but I only had iced coffee through your veins. Only one a day. I'm until I moved to Israel. I kid you not. One a day. It was amazing because it, it just lasted me because you only get up at, I would surf in the morning. I feel totally energized. I get to work at nine o'clock. I get my cup of coffee and I'm done by like six o'clock, you know, and then I wind down. There's no reason to be on the phone. Like after that, I'm with my family. Now I have, a, I have at least two cups of coffee in the morning around three o'clock. I'll have another one and then I'll stop because it's three o'clock. It's really at eight o'clock in the morning. Sure. And then it's got to last till like one o'clock. Well, it sounds like you're worse than me. Well, look, let's segue into talking about business. And um, you founded AC Lion nearly 25 years ago, um, a recruitment company specializing in sales, marketing, and um, a few other sectors from, from what I've seen over the years. Um, just let's roll back the clock a little bit um, without doing the whole, you know, chronological blow yeah. by blow, but you know, how did you get into recruiting? And was this something that you wanted to do? When I, when I was first able to talk, I said, job, job, job. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I literally had never knew what recruiting was. I was in Israel visiting my sister. Um, and my parents promised to see her. To, they sent me to Israel because she was pregnant. Long story short, I saw a girl I went to camp with in uh, front of Apple Pizza. And I said, what are you up to? She goes, well, my sister is doing recruiting, Nancy Slotnick. I go, what's recruiting? She goes, I don't know, but she makes good money. So she gave me her number. I put in my wallet, went back. I, I was getting my master's in social work, believe it or not, because I had wanted to save the world. And before I decided to like, you know, be like a Hillel director working in like University of Seattle, I decided to call Nancy and see what this recruiting thing was all about. And I met this guy, Dan, who ended up being my boss. And he told me about recruiting. And what I always wanted was to, I always wanted to make money like I grew up not without a lot of money and I had this creative entrepreneurial, you know, sense. And um, he said, dude, you can make money and do good things. And he, and he showed me what recruiting was about, which is taking what he understood that I wanted and reflecting it back to me and making it seem like this, I have to take the shot. He basically sold me on, on 
taking that job. And I had like $20,000 that I owed to graduate school at the time. And I said, can I have a week to think about it? And he goes, Alan, winners make decisions. Let me know Monday. It was Friday. And I'm like freaking out. And, you know, that's what happened. I decided to try it out. And uh, I saw incredible growth. Our company went from eight people to 60 people in four years. The company ended up starting Hot Jobs, which was a the first internet job board. Um, I, I proposed hotjobsisrael.com because I always wanted to come to Israel. They accepted the proposal. They had, I had bought tickets to Israel and then there were all these bus bombs and they said, forget about it. If you wanna run hot jobs here, you can. And I chose Israel over basically a, what would have become a publicly traded company. And I started my own business to really start recruiting, but ultimately to, to move to Israel and start like some sort of internet job board that never happened. And uh, I just, opened up a, a, a New York New Media Association book, had little companies like Google and 24-7 and uh, little companies that no one ever heard of in 1997. And I said, hey, I'm young, you're young, what do you need? I can help you. And next thing you know, like my business took off and it was, it was a great ride from the beginning of the internet. So you saying you've only ever had one boss? I've only had one boss. That's your 100%, two bosses in the same company, but yeah. One, com I've only worked for one other company in my life. Wow, I love that. So you st you started this just on the on the basis of wanting to run your own show as a result. No, of the... actually, not at all. In fact, I would have stayed there forever. I'm actually a very loyal person. I wanted to move to Israel, and I believed that they weren't on that same page. And I saw the opportunity for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. That's sort of one of my traits. I think I can sort of see a little bit ahead. And I felt like people, I wanted to provide opportunities for people to work in Israel. And I felt like one day I needed to be there and I felt like I could do this from anywhere. It's what I felt, but it was way then when the phone, if you remember when it used to cost like a dollar fifty a minute to call Israel as, or from Israel to call here. And so, we had to use those codes before right. we dialed the real number. Oh, you ever had like Neptophone or something like that? So I'll never forget the day that they announced that you could like have phone plans calling to America for like nothing almost. I said, that's it. So I opened up an office in Israel and uh, I came like six times a year and I would recruit people. And I said, I'm going to have like 20 people in Israel, then I'm going to make Aliyah. That never happened, but we had about, we had about 30 people different times working in Israel, but you know, it's hard to run. I was running virtual company in Israel because I was so excited about that. And I and I pressure from American, from the American side, just focus on the American side. So I focused on the American side, having a small team in Israel for a long time. I think I think what's interesting, just picking up on you as a person, is that you're obviously someone who's driven by purpose. You said originally you wanted to be a social worker, but this whole you know purpose of being in Israel, helping people get jobs in Israel, um, you know, the mechanism to how you get that purpose delivered. Uh, may be different, but uh, I'm sensing that. Is that is that something that comes through? Oh, you, it's, it's, it's 100% my entire being. Every ounce of my body is about, if I don't do something that feels like it's purposeful, I feel very like depleted. So uh, part of what I get excited about recruiting is that I do help people in their career and helping them get the best jobs. And now that people don't appreciate that anymore, I focus on helping companies 
you know, build their teams. Um, it's definitely not as purposeful as it used to be. We can talk about that, but then I try to do other things in my life that are very purposeful. So it's sort of, I've come to terms with the fact that this is a business that has a lot of purpose in it, but if you really want to do something completely purposeful, do it without the need to make money. So I, no, I'm like, you know. I, I think that's interesting. I mean, I don't know whether you've read, I can't remember his name, but it's worth reading um, profit with purpose. Um, and it's, relates to this whole trend around companies needing to have this higher purpose to what they're doing. Um, now we can debate whether that's, you know, relevant or not, um, but it's definitely where the trend is. And you may be seeing this with candidates in what they're looking for, that yeah. they want to work for companies that have a mission beyond selling the widget that they, uh, you know, may be selling, whether it's sustainability or divert diversity or whatever it is, there's a purpose to, to what they're delivering. Yeah. Are you seeing that with candidates? Yeah, in fact, it's probably the thing I'm most excited to talk about today because it's it's what I live every day. And I'm seeing it in every single company that I'm talking to that if they're not focusing on a purpose and somehow it is a spin, like what you said, the debate is because companies will do whatever they can to spin it to be a purpose. You know what I mean? So like I work with a lot of data labeling companies. It's got to be the, no offense to them. They're, they're doing very well, but like, you know, what's the sense of purpose? So they'll focus on their culture. They'll focus on diversity and inclusion, right? They'll focus on the fact that they have unlimited PTO, right? Or that they have a volunteer program. And I think it's great. But the point is people will not go to companies that don't have created some form of purpose related to what they're doing. But those companies, the ones that really truly have no purpose are going to be, they will not be able to get candidates at all. It's interesting because sometimes it feels like it's it's forced that it you know, forced. it's like post-produced yeah, it. that a company will sit down at a boardroom and say, right, we need to win in the war for talent and we need to close more business. And the way that business is closed today is do we align with the market's values as well or a potential client's values? And so they say they post-produce their purpose. I feel sometimes that it is contrived. Yeah. And, and so like up until like recently, we were doing purely ad tech digital, like I'm known a little bit for like the digital media recruiter, but it's not that way anymore, but it's gotta be a business that is so commoditized ad tech, you know, like, what is it? You know, you're just taking data and serving it up so that people can click on ads that are more relevant to them than, than somebody else. Right. So there's this concept called zero party data now where, they're customizing the ad to what you want. And, and companies are really spitting it and telling their, 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 their customers that we're gonna send you, as we're here to stay, but we're only gonna send you things that are relevant for you. And we're gonna be very upfront with you about that. And that's transparency is going a long way. And there is a sense of purpose to that because if you're in ad tech and everybody wants to leave ad tech, then you're that new ad tech company that's bringing purpose back to, to collection of data so listen i want to just segue back into recruitment as an industry because sometimes it gets a bad rap you know it it, it, it lives with these sometimes <laughs> it lives with you know the the estate agents and realtors over there and um you know oh we'll use them if we really have to but actually yeah. you know you've seen the business over you know coming up to you know the third decade and uh um 
the industry is changing, but the big innovation that everyone thought would come into the sector sort of has and hasn't. It's still one of those areas where it's still ripe for massive change. And on the other hand, recruitment agencies and companies are busier than ever. They're stronger than ever. They're growing. And companies still want to use recruiters. I just want to get your view on the innovation in the sector. There's lots of different platforms, whether it's AI driven, whether it's mobilizing your current workforce to find the next round of talent and using software platforms internally to do that and rewarding your current staff uh, versus coming to AC Lion and just saying, do this for us. Understand us and find us the right people. And you, you just opened up a huge can of worms, but that is a huge one. I love a the podcast way you, on love, its own. <laughs> no, but I love the way you framed the question. It is a podcast on its own, and it's 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 something that I I literally, and I kid you not, like keeps me up at night. So anyone that knows me knows, like I've been talking about how we're going to be disrupted for the past like four years, and I think it's I'm, I think it's really good that I've been talking about it because what I've done and, and a lot of staffing firms have followed me or not follow me, but I followed this trend is that we've invested in HR tech, you know? So we have a number of investments um, that are doing really well because there is this belief that you need to innovate and there, it, you have to innovate for sure. And there's, um, Al Pacino has a, has a famous speech called Inches. I don't know if you saw this movie any given Sunday, anyways, you should look it up. And it talks about like how life is a game of inches. So like those inches are like the tasks that we do in recruitment. So like, you know, sourcing, getting someone, up, no one picks up the phone anymore. So you can't write an email, it takes 20 minutes. So you create like automation and drip campaigns. You know everything about this, right? And then you have to send them a text message and then you have to phone call them, but that's all automate, automated now, right? And a lot of recruiters have yet to automate that Part of their lives because it is expensive and it's there's a very complicated tech, tech stack but the ones that have are, are able to compete with we're basically competing with our clients clients are trying to hire people out of our company you know the best comp the best recruiters but they still have to get their own tech stack because we're basically who can get to that great candidate faster and who can can get to that candidate in a smarter way that's going to make that candidate feel like you're only talking to them, but yet it's innovation. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. I get that. So that those are the people that are going to win. And, and the, the recruiters are, are, I think, even though right now we're, we're, we're back to a new boom, right? So last year, everyone was completely quiet. And now people need to hire so fast. So like everyone's making money. But I think in a year from now, whenever this, you know, bubble will eventually burst at some point, the only recruiters like me that are going to win are the ones that have innovated themselves, you know, have their tech stack and we're completely automated and using the human for what the human needs to do, which is actually influencing the candidate to take a job. And this is how I 90% of the time that I win business when I, when I talk to clients, I'm like, someone has to get on the phone with the person, first of all, getting them on the phone and getting their attention, we have to smartly write and craft the right message, be super persistent and then tell the story of the client to get them excited. Because at that point, the second you excite them, guarantee you're looking at five other companies. See my point? So who's gonna, who's gonna have be that big brother who's gonna talk to them? What about, really show them, I don't care what job you take, 
as long as you are totally transparent with me. It's just hard to do. But yeah. that game cannot be played by by machines at this point. It's it's also going to change, I think, because of what has resulted partly because of COVID, but I think the trend was heading this way anyway. COVID was the catalyst. Um, that the boundaries of who are potential candidates have been completely dismantled. So the concept of hiring talent local to a building is gone and or not completely gone but the 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 boundaries of who i can access as a company because i have now the 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 infrastructure to have people work for me whether it's in you know boston beijing birmingham or i can't think of a b in israel but uh uh, brack so so uh yeah exactly but the, the 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 boundaries are gone so the concept of um, you know localized um, recruitment processes are gone. They have to utilize technology, like you're saying, to reach those candidates faster. Um, but I also think, and maybe you'll talk about that specifically. Just, just to comment on that, because you would think that that's the case, and I just think it's important to because I hear this firsthand from clients, and it's almost shocking. But just last night, I was on the phone with a UK company that wanted to hire two internal talent acquisition people, like the recruiter finding a recruiter for companies, but that's actually one of the hottest things right now. So uh, I said to my, I have the perfect person. Is there, would you hire this person in Israel? Like they know it's for SaaS sales. They only want someone, this goes to my point. The smart companies get it. They have to hire niche recruiters. You have to have your SaaS seller recruiters, your, your engineering recruiters, your, you know what I mean? That's you basically you're building an internal recruitment agency in your company. But they said to me, they have to be in the U.S. and they have to be East Coast. Mm. And so there is a boundary that has opened, but this is like what 90% of my clients say. Okay, they can work from home, but, you know, either we want them in the office two days a week or at least to be on our time zone. And they definitely want them in the United States for legal purposes and all this other stuff. Yeah, there is that. But I think that's going to change. At some point, that will break down. It might not be for a while, but at some point, companies will have to, even the smaller companies, fine, the Facebooks and the Googles, they have international reach. But if you want to hire somebody for them to be part of your your, your business, not as a freelancer, um, but actually part of the family, why should the boundaries of a country make any difference if you don't have a legal presence there? I think it might not be immediate, but 10, 20 years time, that's going to look different. Yeah, 10, 20 years time. But you, everyone was saying and everyone is saying that COVID has accelerated everything by some people say 15 years, some people say five years. I'm more the five-year person because companies were definitely moving towards a work from home trend. You know, listen, I made Aliyah moved to Israel, like I was way ahead of the game. I said, you know, virtual is the way to go. Um, but with Google and Amazon making their big announcements last week that they want people to come back to the office, a lot of companies are, are waiting for those announcements to see what they are gonna do, right? So they've sort of bucked that trend a little bit because then I, as a CEO, I'm telling you myself, like the, the culture that we created is no longer there. People are sitting from their home, can't really understand what they're doing. Nobody wants to be watched. Yeah, there's technology to watch them. But we have no idea what they're doing. Not only that, but they don't feel connected to their to their 
to their people. And that's why people, I think that's the number one reason people stayed is the friends that they've made. People are social beings. So people are going to notice that and people are leaving because of that too. I spoke to someone this morning, like there's churn everywhere. No matter what, what company you're working with, there's churn because you're taking those calls that you couldn't take before. You know what I mean? You're taking that interview that because you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to put, you don't have to hide. Oh, oh what, why is she looking so nice today? You know, it's like, oh, just take that call. Oh, you're offering 30,000 more. Sounds good. I wonder whether it's not the work from home element that is important. It's, it's the flexibility. People want flexibility to not feel that they have to make up some story because it's their kids show at school that afternoon and they don't really want to take a half day and all the rest of it. And, and flexibility is the word here. I don't think we should be full work from home. I'm at home now. To be honest, I don't really enjoy it. I enjoy the community and the culture and, um, you know, just going out and grabbing lunch or a coffee or, the you know, the water cooler moments. Um, but I want the flexibility with it. Um, are so you, you seeing you that with brought, candidates? You just brought, yeah, you just brought up the, another really great point. Another, you stepped into another, I think, uh, what, what do we call it? A Recruiter top landmine. Suit, <laughs> pot, but uh, that companies are no longer going to dictate what it is that they want from their people in terms of like where they work and how long they work. The people are going to make the decisions. And it's complete reversal. And Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this all the time. He's actually very happy about this. He's a big fan of just like, letting the people run the business, you know what I mean? And it's a big mind shift. It's going to take a long time. A lot of new companies will be that way, but the employees, it's not because there's a lack of talent. It's just because that's what we need to do to, that's where it's moving towards. You know, if people want to work from home and, and not tell you that they have some, or they want to, they want to actually say, okay, I got to, I'm going to my kids, uh, you know, here are my kids, come, come sit in my lap. You know, that's, that's going to stay because they want it to stay. Are we seeing, a, 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 I'm akin it to the real estate market. Are we seeing more of a trend of this is a buyer's market in terms of candidates at the moment? Do they have the power? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, what's amazing is that everyone, is, you know, there are a lot of people unemployed. That, that's what's so crazy. We're in this little bubble of the tech world let's let's like admit that we are right the job market just came out yeah jobs are coming back but there's still like 10 percent unemployment amongst african americans there's all you know i have family members if you were in catering or in the restaurant business it's going to take forever to come back a long long the travel a lot of these things are going to take a long time to come back mm -hmm. in our bubble of the tech world even the, the best candidates were, were eaten up during covid like that's how we stayed in business by telling our clients Now's the time to, well, people are scared for, for like that three weeks that they were laid off, you know, during Harlat, as they call it in Israel, pick those people up, pick them up now. And they did that. So what was left, you no know, people that didn't, they were like the B-level people, now they're employed. And we're back to having a shortage. And since companies pivoted towards COVID-related stuff, they've increased their revenues. They're, they're, they're like desperate to hire people right now. Looking back over the years, we've been talking about what's happening in the future. How have you seen the industry change? I mean, I my first job was in recruitment. Uh, wow. What year was that, Robert? 21 years ago. So 1998 wow. or something like that. It was, you were actually, believe it or not, recruiting had innovated from 90. I started in 93. So 
and now people actually know how old I am too, but <laughs> from 93 to nine. And when I started, we would print out resumes. We had to cut off their addresses and paste our letterhead on it with tape. All I this remember had this. I remember, okay, remember this. this. Okay. And then we would wait on the, for the fax machine. That's people wouldn't talk at the water cooler. They'd talk at the fax machine. They zip that, that resume and call the, the hiring manager and be like, you got to see this guy. Right. And we quickly, I was that guy as well. I remember, okay, fine, so you remember I'm saying, but by 98, my company was very innovative at the time we had internet before anyone else did. We would put ads in the New York times saying www.otech.com. Like, and people were like, what's this an internet? So, you know, job boards started in really in, in 97 and that's, that was already way ahead of the game. So, so job boards, right. Then we went from that to, uh, you know, CRM, AT, we had candidate cards that we used to have. We used to have meetings. Where can we put this candidate? Where, you know, that kind of thing. Cold call clients. We'd go to the newspaper. All that has changed. But really, and you think about it, like what's really changed? In the end of the day, so now we're, instead of cold calling people, we're emailing them like crazy. We're spamming them. We're texting them, right? You think people want to hear? That's just as disturbing to people. You know, hey, well, everything under the sun has everything under the sun has already been before. It's just that's right. Isn't that amazing? With um, all this innovation, with all this innovation, it's a lot of noise, and I don't know if much has really changed. I don't think it has. I just think the mechanism that we deliver it by is 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 different, and you know, it's a bit more shiny. And you know, we're LinkedIn messaging people, and or we're doing something crazy on one social media channel to make everyone think this is the company we want to work for and um, whatever it might be. But-, but did you know, Robert, that recruiting is the last manual broker kind of like industry, unless you can think of another one that is still alive and thriving. Real estate brokers, you can use Trulia, you know, travel agents, you got TripAdvisor, right? Brokers, Robinhood. Yes, they they still exist, right? And But they're definitely more people just automatically go to those platforms. But I think recruiting, there's still this element of like, because my boss told me like job, the switching jobs is like, is like getting a divorce. It's very traumatic. It's still a decision. You know what I mean? You still want someone to talk about these decisions with. Well, I, th- I think what's interesting is that um, the, 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 the moment that the companies want to build out, like you said, these, in-house full recruitment services and in other sectors we're seeing companies actually decentralize some of the services that they offer so um met with a number of companies over recent weeks that are fintech um that they provide the platform or the service to say consumer-led brands who have a product the company that has the product that's what they do well they know how to build that product and, and right. deliver a great product. They then yeah. have to suddenly become experts at e-commerce, experts at HR. Yeah. And actually, I think we're moving more to a decentralized I basis. Right. I think it's such a great point again. Um, so like last week, Robinhood, you know who Robinhood is, right? Of course. They just bought an 80-person recruitment firm. We were, I was shocked. I mean, it was unbelievable. So they said it themselves. They said, I can't build one person at a time. We don't know how to build a, a real agency. Let's just buy one. And it was worth it for them. Or, or like you said, outsource it. So that's called recruitment process outsourcing, RPOs, right? There are, there are huge right now because you can't, there's too much technology 
like to under to, to know how to build that tech stack just within your own agency. So I think you're right, but you got to pivot to become that. I get it absolutely. But what, what I mean, what's the argument for companies to use recruiters over doing it themselves? Well, it's really very simple. It's all about your niche. So, like we do four or five things: sales, marketing, product management, you know, customer success. You're going to need to hire recruiters that know each one of those individual niches, which is unless you're a really big company, you can't do. So, yeah, I think that the newer, if you just raise $20 million, you're going to outsource it because they need to be experts. And we know how to tell your story because we understand your industry. So there's the function, the functional niche and the industry niche. So if someone says, oh, do you do SaaS sales? Well, what about cyber? I'm like, no, I don't know cyber. So what are they going to hire a cyber SaaS recruiter? No way. It's, it's you know, how many SaaS sellers are you going to need to hire in your company? So you're going to you're going to outsource it because you want to make sure you go after the 10 people that can do that. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It makes sense, particularly at that stage of a company's exactly. trajectory. So uh, like, a, for example, if you take like, I don't know, just take Spotify. They're a client of ours from years ago. Um, they don't need to use us right now, but they'll call us when they have a very niche, you know, like a head of product or something that's really niche because they know there's only like X number of people that do this and they've already talked to everybody. So you need to go back and talk to these people and it's, it could be a confidential search, for example, where they don't want, you know, everyone to know what they're doing, you know? So we get that one search from one company, one search from another company, 90% of what they do is out, is internal, but 10% is not. So you build those relationships. I like the um, approach that I've seen in the market, actually talking about confidential search. I've, I've seen a few messages come through in my inbox recently of, you know, oh, we're representing XYZ company who are looking for a VP sales. Given your network, I'd love to meet with you to see if you've got any ideas for oh, um, right. That's... what they mean is, would you be interested? Exactly. I told you about this job. Yeah. But what's crazy is you don't know who's a recruiter or who's an internal recruiter these days. You know what I mean? And the question is, it used to be that if you were an internal recruiter, you're, you have to answer that email because it's like, oh, you don't want to mess up your relationship with the potential. Now, these people are all ex-agency people anyways, and people just get, how many messages a day do you get like that, Robert? Must be like 10, at least 15 I'm not that in demand, I have to say. <laughs> Please, God, we'll get there. <laughs> All right, you'll get there. But you know what? You're in demand. Your services are in demand. That's for indeed, sure. Indeed. I actually um, think the two of us can make it. We make a good team. Look, it's the natural. We're the natural of partners. That's for sure. That is for sure. You find the people. We enable them to do what they're supposed to do. No, I often tell people you're not ready to hire. They ask me, you know, like want to hire a salesperson. I ask them, that's another value of the, of the recruiter is, you know, just if you want to be transactional, then anyone can be transactional. If you say to them, explain to me your sales process, your structure, your marketing, all that stuff. And they say, well, we just want someone to go out. They're going to have to do their own marketing. They have to cold call. We want someone to bring in the relationships. It doesn't work that way. Nobody wants to do everything they want. They want an SDR team. They want a marketing, they want content behind it. They, you know, this is just what they're expecting. Right. And I'm like, you need to go hire a firm that can set that up for you. Cause for you to build it yourself will take you forever. And then I introduce you and then now it's ready. 
now you need now you're ready to hire a, a salesperson because you have a, you have traction already. We had someone like Robert help us close those initial X number of deals. Now we raised ten million dollars. Now you actually get someone good because you have a real story to tell. And I used to get calls when they they don't have a you don't have a story yet. Sorry. Absolutely, that's that is everything. It's about going in and just helping a company get to their first, you know, 20, 30, 50 clients so that they can tell a story, that they've got case studies, that they've got market traction, that they can go and raise the money and build out their team. Um, totally agree with that. And I think the other thing that you do is you help companies create brands and they're not thinking they think they have amazing tech and they probably do. And they think that what they have, nobody else has, and that probably is not true. Maybe no one has everything that they have, but tons of people. The brand, and you even used to, to sort of bring back what you started in the beginning, what's your purpose, right? People will need that. What, what do you stand for? When you go to the US market, they don't care about the tech as much as they care about like, what do you, do you have diversity in your, in your team? I'm serious. Like, they, people have no idea how the American market is changing evolving so quickly and that's what i think you guys are there to help them do and i think that's critical you've touched on a bit of a pet pet interest of mine which is uh politics um and oh, man. whether it's in the us israel the uk there's always lots to talk about when i read books and netflix i only watch political stuff fyi okay okay well, we we won't get too controversial here but I think what you've said about diversity is interesting because I sat for a number of months in one of the biggest companies in the world in their office here in Israel. And one of their big purpose-driven motives is diversity and inclusion. Fantastic. I'm all on board. But what I noticed was that everybody looked the same, pretty much thought the same, and actually it felt like the opposite to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I feel like that movement, particularly in tech, which is traditionally more left-wing, more liberal, um, just by, by you know, generic stereotypes, the, the, the story is good, but I find that the reality doesn't always play out. So first of all, I have a, a great, we've launched a diversity and inclusion program. That was part of our pivot during, during COVID when we didn't have a lot of business and we're thinking about what we wanted to do and Black Lives Matter came out. And honestly, it did start from a, a sense of purpose that I really wanted to, to help companies become more diverse. And we, we've launched the program with a company as we're called Telenia. We won't get into that, but when I would, I have emails, my email marketing campaigns all talk about diversity. If they don't respond to me, I say, are you interested in diversity? Doesn't that, and, they, and then they respond to me. I get on the phone with them and I get on with the person who's in charge of diversity and inclusion. They go, we are all, I am the person. So great. So you want someone who's, let's just say African, absolutely. But they have to have come from Harvard and they have to have three years of consulting experience. I kid you not. And, and I'm like, okay, well, that magic wand is not there. And actually diversity is, is understanding that people from diverse backgrounds didn't go to Harvard, right? And that maybe they were top in their sports team at, at, a, at a community college, but they have such great discipline and they couldn't grasp it. So I think that's really where, where the trend is moving towards is like, 
people are saying they want it, but the company really hasn't under, they don't understand what diversity really is. Well, they've got to embrace the opportunity. They have to give those opportunities to the, to the, the people that they're proposing to, to represent. But I think, and I'll just say it, I think that diversity and inclusion is also getting into the realm of as long as you all think the same. Exactly. I'm and glad you said it. Problem. It's, this is, this is the it's part that gets a little tricky, but people, by the way, people are so biased in their diversity, right? And that's, I was caught in a very tough situation because I, I kind of wanted to say, you know, all people matter, right? Everyone is diverse, right? I'll just say it. So like, where's the discrimination against, you know, diversity is, is people who are older. They get, they get constantly it's impossible if you're over 50 to get a job today is really hard. You know what I mean? Handicapped, blind, you name it, diversity in thought, right? This is, this is something that I think is the most powerful, diversity in thought. I'm not, let's say I'm not a Democrat. That's diverse to you, to, to the tech company, you know, and they, you can't hire me because of that. Or a candidate won't go to a company like Fox News because they don't believe in their, so where's the diversity there? Look, you're preaching to the choir here, and, and uh, I think, I think, I think we're losing the ability to obviously disagree agreeably, and to basically have that diversity of thought because that's what makes amazing companies. Yeah. Um, and and whatever happened to hiring the best people for the job? Does that still exist? Um, now. You know, there's so many arguments around this. Again, another podcast all on its own. But are you are you seeing this come through in conversations that you're having on both sides of the fence, candidate and companies? How are they weaving this story back to you in their recruiting process? That's another value of using a recruiter, by the way, is their ability to say they want a diverse candidate. It's kind of hard to put that in writing because in a way there is a bias within that. There's so much legal like minefield here that you need like a full-time lawyer just to, to describe in your job description that you want diversity. Do you understand? Because it's in itself biased to say it. Okay, we're sorry, but we're only hiring this or must be female. They feel comfortable telling us, you know, because it's they think it's not being recorded. You know, it's not. And they're like, we really prefer female African-American or you know, it's a cultural, that's their thing. It's not a cultural fit for whatever reason. So I do have this sort of weird negative feeling when I have to say, okay, but what about someone who's just really good for the job? But I get, this is, we, companies need to move towards this because they do need to diversify, right? And and that's just the reality. And there, and that is just, that is diversification, but there needs to be a balance and that's the problem, right? So maybe it's a pendulum that will come back hopefully in the middle, but right now we're going through this must diverse and this is how we're defining diversity, but hopefully I, and it's, I'm seeing it happening already. FYI, it's, it's, it's happening. And I, and I'm here to educate people that you can't, it's, it's about inclusion of everyone and everyone's really diverse.
Correct. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fully on board. But, you know, where we are, particularly in the American landscape, I think it's different elsewhere. But because America feels and looks, maybe it isn't really on the ground, but it feels and looks so divided that, you know, you, you could almost imagine recruiters that only recruit conservative thinking people for companies that have conservative outlooks and maybe more liberal um, type candidates going to companies that want to have that type of candidate. We're not having that melting pot of people, but I, I do agree with you. We're going to deliver on, on diversity and inclusion when there is a male and female candidate who are equally qualified, probably should be going with the woman because we have to give more of those opportunities to balance things out. If you've got two candidates that are equally good in their own way to, and both capable of doing the job, yeah, go for the diversity candidate. I agree with that. But it's got to still be based on some form of meritocracy. And it, and it, and it is, which, again, another reason to use us, because we're going to find you exactly what you want. And we're not going to stop until we find you the person who is both qualified and in your mind, what you believe you want is, is diverse, if that makes sense. So there is bias in diversity right now. Um, and in fact, if, you know, this is another topic conversation, but AI, everyone's like, oh, AI is gonna, you know, disrupt us. AI is based on rules. It's not AI, it's machine learning. Machine learning is based on humans putting in those rules. And if humans are biased unconsciously, or even bias towards diversity or whatever they decide diversity is, then AI is gonna learn your, it's just learning human behavior. Does that make sense? So that's not really truly giving you an unbiased candidate. Yeah, look, the system produces the results based on what we told the system to produce. Right. Okay, we're getting heavy. We're getting heavy. Let's roll back. What what are the big trends at the moment in terms of sectors, particularly in obviously your world of tech? Where are the vertical hyper growth um, areas that candidates need to be thinking about entering? Well, there's industry and functions, right? So, like, if you go on our website, you'll see it says industry and functions. <laughs> I don't know. I think that you know this is the same stuff that you know you can talk to any any good CEO about. That I'll just quickly say every industry is being disrupted right now. So really anything related to the virtual world and, and even HR tech, the future of work is the, the, in itself is a major industry. We're get, we have a huge demand in, in innovation in, in HR and in, and in video and assessing candidates and assessing people, assessing what they're looking for, what they want in their lives. It's all about data, collection of data, as you know. And so anything, you know, Cyber is data, you know, labeling, e-commerce. There's just like all those fields where you're that are you see are hiring right now are going to continue to hire. But you know, autonomous vehicles, all that stuff. So that's industry. Um, functionally, I think is more interesting is the demand for data analysts today are insane, insane because it's all about interpreting the data. Okay, because they still need humans to interpret the data. It's not like the people that are like tagging that stuff, there's actually now automation to get rid of those people. Like hundreds of people are going to lose, hundreds of data people are actually losing their jobs right now, which is crazy. And these are smart data people. And they're moving towards the people that are able to analyze that data. So there's a human piece to it. They're still not talking to people, but they're analyzing it. And then there's the, the people that are taking the data that the people have analyzed and they're bringing it back to sort of like 
technology people that are then rewriting the software for that. So it's all, and then there's customer success people and, you know, this, you know, all, all anything related where you're using your human skills, sales engineers, right? Cause it's all this te tech stack stuff that are really, it's really complicated. So people need to go in there and show people how it works and then make the client happy. And, and there's all the freemium models out there. Think of monday.com, right? Starts off for free. So who's going to get, convert them to become paid a human, right? And then they got to go in and they only go to one department, then the next department. So it's all related to sales and marketing. We didn't even talk about it. Marketing is replacing sales, in my opinion, not completely, but you can't be a salesperson without incredible marketing machine. My number one demand right now is, is um, growth marketers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I mean, like I find one growth marketer, I can place them in five companies tomorrow, but it's a data, but as a data person, they're, they're data oriented people. But it, I mean, it makes sense to some extent because the way that the consumer, whether they're B2B or B2C are buying today is that they don't want to be sold to. They want to come to a decision themselves that they're actively going to go down that route of using that tech platform, for example. So the yeah. marketing element is absolutely critical of how you're driving attention and awareness and informing them and giving the, them the education of what you do and why it's yeah. good for them. So they, they're almost coming to a sales call because they've either decided to you know, fill out the form themselves and request the call um, or they're, they're, they're halfway sold already. So sales is definitely changing. That concept of trying to, you know, push a product to fit their problem um, is really gone. We, we understand their problems. We're creating solutions to meet them. And we're telling them about that through marketing so that they already know us when we're there. And imagine having to do that in a 30-second video clip. You know what <laughs> I mean? Imagine taking your complex problem and putting that in a 30-second clip. If you're lucky, that's all they have. Yeah, that's the goal. That's, that's, that's the talent. So the salesperson can't sell anything without someone seeing that video, you know, and it's like, that's expensive. I think the world has gotten more expensive, you know, and I see with my clients, their, their margins are so small now. And, you know, where, where are we saving money with all this innovation? Honestly, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing costs going up, not going down. So listen, Ozzy, we're starting to come to the end of our time. I see the clock and I'm sure you've got a full day yeah, ahead yeah. of you. Um, I want some stories. You've got to give me some gold. Oh man, stories. I got, I got to have, I do have gold and I, and I do appreciate you giving me the only heads up you gave me was, do you have any funny stories? And I'm really glad because like I called my partners last night, like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I had stories in my mind, but I need to remember some of the details. <laughs> so, um, one really crazy story is that we placed a candidate and he, and his boss came in and started, you know, giving him some negative feedback. He literally took pencils and like stabbed his boss with pencils. And we got a call saying, Hey, your candidate, he's got anger issues. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it doesn't reflect well on you, but it, it only, the fact that I can only remember one really bad candidate story in 25 years is, is really Pretty good, pretty good track record. And I thought it was really funny. But a story that I did when I was a little bit younger, which we couldn't do today is um, I actually, so you know how with recruiting, you have to pick up the client and you have to pick, you also have to get the candidate. So both sides are great stories. 
I don't know if you ever heard of Lou Kerner. He's kind of like a famous like uh, investor VC guy. He predicted that Facebook was going to be really big, and he's like the Bitcoin investor. Anyways, Lou's a big fan of Israel. He goes back and forth. So I never knew him in my life. I walked into a, one of these conferences, you know, these after parties that you have, and you've had this long day and you're super tired. But I'm like an energy bunny. I'm like I could go in and meet somebody. So I only had like. 15 minutes, maybe a half an hour of energy left. I walk in there, see a huge room with like hundreds of people, loud music. And I go, who does it look, who looks like a client? And I just went up to this guy and it was Luke Kearney here, just starting a social media network called Bolt. And he's like, yeah, I, can, I need some people, follow up with me. I literally just went up to the guy just like that and left, that was it. Found him a candidate, got really excited, loves the opportunity, says I'm all in. I go, great, here's the offer letter. I send him the offer letter. All of a sudden, the guy does not respond to any phone calls, emails, nothing. And I'm like, Lou's like, dude, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. So I, most people just would have just tried to keep calling the person. I decided I know where he works, a big advertising agency. It was like Omnicom. I went down there. And you know, you can't get into a building without security. And I basically like called, I told him to call this phone number, like a different number, not his number. And I'm like, I'm here to see Mike. And they're like, well, he's not here right now, but you know, we'll, we'll let you in. So I, I got in, went up to the top floor. Also secretary wasn't going to let me in. I said, I'm, I'm supposed to hear her to meet Mike. When she wasn't looking, I literally just walked in this massive hallway, you know, massive hallway and started asking people, do you know this guy, Mike? And where's Mike work? And he literally found his cubicle. He was there. And I go, Hey, uh, hey, Mike, it's, you know, it's Alan. How's it going? He's like, oh my God. <laughs> right. And I sat with him, like, can we talk about this job offer? And I sat with him in his cafeteria and he's like, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm signing the document. Oh my and God. I, you, you, okay. are the, you are the stalker recruiter. Can I, I can't believe I did this, but like, it's a story of a lifetime, you know, and uh, that's how far I'll go from my clients. I love that. I love the story. Oh my gosh. Wow. You really are, as I say, the stalker recruiter. Ozzy, just tell me what's next for you in terms oh of God. AC Lion, the future of the business for you. Where, where's the, what, what does the, the, the next stage of the vision look like? So, you know, I, this is what I want. And I, I think that I don't see this as a business that I'm going to hand over to my son because I think in 10 years, it's going to be very different. I would like to join forces with either a big technology recruitment company that needs the value of, of the human beings that, that really just have a great tech product, but they don't have the, the good human element and then mesh, mesh the two tech and, and, and uh, human, or do like a roll up of, you know, 10 or 15 other really great niche companies, just like myself that can all feed off each other's business. And then, you know, together grow an even bigger business and then can then be bought by either like a very large publicly traded company or pre-publicly traded company. So I see that all happening in the next, you know, five years. Well, we wish you huge success with that. You've Got, you. uh, you've got an amazing track record and a client base to envy. And uh, 
and we wish you continued success and uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast it's been interesting to get a uh, you know a bird's eye view of what's happening in the recruitment world from a candidate and company perspective what's happening in tech um, and look forward to uh, seeing more coming out from 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 you and just a sh- thank you just a shout out to you Robert you know when I referred a client to you you uh, you said you wanted to meet me you showed up with a an 18 18- year old bottle of uh, Glenlivet and I was right before Passover and I said uh, you know I appreciate this but my wife will not let me open this up pre-Passover and you said it's okay just you know it will wait and when Passover was over I could not find the bottle and I looked everywhere for it and my wife said you're crazy I'm like I gotta get the Glenlivet 18 finally found it opened it up it was so good so that present goes a long way, man. And I'm just like slowly drinking it. And thank you. And it was just very, very sweet. And I hope we'll have many more opportunities to do work together. Fantastic. Look forward to sharing a whiskey with you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. All right, Robert.